Well, I've worked out what the problem was. I was drinking from the wrong side. Oh, uh, <laughs> this is complicated technology. It's a fucking travel cup. I know. It's Friday, November the 8th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Bonnet's Collector, and with me today is my fellow Dutch News Contributing Editor and late-onset sports fanatic, Molly Quell. Our third regular... Can we still say regular? No, he no. hasn't been here. He's Are we here. sure he's even alive? Um, but we're not sure, no. Yeah. Our third co-host and bot-baiter, Paul Peters, isn't with us today because he's staging a one-man protest on the Mali felt against Senseo. That's an excellent job title for Paul. It is, I hope yeah. he appreciates the work that went into that job title. Indeed, an awful lot of work, yeah. But, but, but Paul showed me this, and I think he showed, showed you this as well, this, this bot that's appeared yeah, online. Yeah, what is it called? Realist It's called bot. Realist Bot NL. Realist Bot yeah, NL. Which uh, basically just literally spews out sort of um, yeah, stereotype uh, right-wing responses to everything. But it's so good that people actually argue with it. for yeah, like one a woman, long I think, time. One woman, woman, I think, argued with it for a whole hour, yeah. not realising, despite the fact it's called Realist Bot. That it was a bot. That it was a bot. Yes, yeah. of course. So hats off to whoever designed that. So what are you doing with all of your bonnets? We'll get into the story of the, uh, the hijacking that wasn't a hijacking later on. But my first response, and I think this uh, is a sign of how integrated I've become, was to wonder um, w- at what point the Marish say would uh, deliver the itemised bonnetier for the cost. For the cost. <laughs> I like that. Of dealing with the yeah the the uh, the this couple hijacking incident. I tweeted about sports this week. You did tweet about sports, which is quite astonishing. Caused the earth to tilt on its axis. Well, bit, yeah, I, I mean, this followed a week in which uh, you signed off having sports as the top story on the podcast, yeah, which I crazy. just couldn't quite believe. But it's it's because one particular person it's, was uh, at the centre of It's because my these own news, personal hero, Dick yeah. Advocate, yeah. Yeah. is, uh, <laughs> our, as we refer to him on this podcast, Dick Lawyer, yes. took over of Feyenoord after yeah. they had a disastrous mm-hmm. showdown a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and Feyenoord this week were playing a match against... The Young Boys. Young Boys of Bern from um, Sweden, which, from Switzerland. Note, who names these teams? <laughs> like, what, are you drunk? I don't understand. Anyway, so the, the lovely Feyenoord fans put up a sign that said, our dick doesn't like young boys. <laughs> um... Yes. Which is both anti-pedophilic and accurate. And, <laughs> and amusing. somehow managed to be soccer hooliganism, but woke. So yeah. I was very impressed. W- woke Rotterdam hooligans. Woke Rotterdam Feyenoord hooligans. That's quite amazing. I know. Yeah. Not a phrase. It I just shows how gentrified Rotterdam's become in a short true. time. It yeah. is very, very true. So we've been all puffed this week, even though Paul is not here. And uh, I think it's my turn to read it. So I'm going to go ahead and see what it is that he's included in the script, which I've not read before, so I have no idea. Okay, well, this will be fun. This week saw the arrival of the first Dutch F-35 Joint Strike Fighter onto Dutch soil. The new state-of-the-art fighter jet landed in Leeuwarden and was welcomed by hundreds of spectators. The touchdown was broadcast live on television. The Ministry of Defense called it a historic moment for the Netherlands and for the Dutch Royal Air Force. The government's decision to join the international design team in 2002 was controversial from the start, and countless delays and spectacular budget overruns were ever more reason for the constant flow of ophef over the years. For many years, politicians didn't want to burn their fingers on the JSF. In 2009, a minister refused to make a final decision about purchasing the jets, but simultaneously announced to invest the money, more money in the project, to which Alexander Pechtold famously replied that he hoped she still had the Bonnetcha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it all comes a, back to Bonnetchas. It all comes back to Bonnetchas. <laughs> 
But finally, the JSF was there, and of course, this could not go on without Ophef. The fighter jet was given a water salute by the Warden Fire Brigade to welcome it to the Netherlands, but it turned out that instead of water... <laughs> I didn't know this. I you didn't know this. this. For the first time, I missed this. <laughs> it turned out instead of water, extinguishing foam was accidentally <laughs> used, yes. which contained chemicals that damaged the brand new 124 million euro jet. <laughs> Luckily, the damage wasn't too serious, but it was reported that the firefighter who controlled the water salute celebrated his birthday yesterday and was given a foamed top cake yes. by his colleagues. That is top-notch trolling. Delightful. It is fantastic. I trolling. think this is possibly the best op-ed story we've ever had before because this is a culmination of 17, so 17 years of continuous op-ed, and this is literally the foam on the top of the cake. It is. Isn't it? It's, yeah, well, we're in mid-November, and I, I, I can't see anything happening in the next six weeks that will top this. You, n- you never yeah. know around uh-huh. here. This week, it's the turn of the teachers to protest against the government. Mark Rutte has been on a charm offensive in Overijssel. There's good news for some people affected by Brexit. And we'll attempt to summarise Tuesday night's deranged orgy of a football match between Chelsea and Ajax. In our discussion, we'll look at why the Defence Minister came under fire this week over a bombing raid in Iraq four years ago. Some people not, not being some here. Some people. Not that you're bitter at all. I'm not bitter at all or, or disgruntled at all. Over 4,000 primary, secondary, and special schools were closed on Wednesday as teachers nationwide went on strike in support of more pay and better working conditions. Teachers are calling for a structural increase in funding to reduce the pressure on teaching staff and increase salaries as schools report record shortages of teachers. Some 80% of the country's schools were involved in the strike, which coincided with a two-day debate on the education ministry budget for 2020. Uh, did they go to the Malleyfield? They did not. Mm. Uh, instead, they had strikes all over the country. They blocked traffic on the Erasmusbrook in Rotterdam. They were on the Dam in Amsterdam. So they uh, were kind yeah. of all over the place. And there was a big queue outside the Trader Karma because they all wanted to get in and watch the debate. Exactly. Yeah, which yes. is quite a contrast to the farmers. Yes. Yeah. Funny how that and works. And the builders. Um, yes, they probably wanted to get into Binhoff uh, and take notes. And behave if, politely. And behave politely and then submit a detailed report and give the MPs marks out of 10. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, were there tractors? Yes. There was 150 of them. Wow. 150 tractors. They blockaded the entrance to the education ministry building. Gosh, really? Yes, they did. They were uh, toy tractors, though. <laughs> it was very cute. The, the picture on the NOS, we'll probably, we'll link to this article, is super adorable. But yeah, they got a bunch of little toy tractors, yeah. and they made little toy signs for the tractors, and they blockaded <laughs> the education ministry building, which is a delightful form of protest. Yes. Well, there's, were there school children on the tractors? I no, no, they're, just, they're, they're just like the little toy own. tractors. They're right. like matchbox size. Ah, those tractors. kinds of small yeah. toy tractors. Wonderful. Did they achieve anything from this? No, the tractors got them nowhere. Right. Education Minister Ari Slob said he does not intend to release any more money for schools. Last week on Friday, the government said it would allocate an extra 460 million euros to schools, but actually only 363 million of that was actually new money. The teachers are not happy about this. Quote, we are being given a very expensive present, but it will do nothing to solve the biggest problems facing education. We will not get more pay or more teachers. That's uh, from Jan van den Ven of the campaign Payout in Axie. The teachers have said they're going to continue striking until more money is made available. So on it goes. In advance of this, we had had the whole big uh, meltdown at the weekend where the unions first said they were going to call off the strike and then decided to do a very swift about turn um, and decided not to call off the strike. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, the leader of the teachers union actually had to step down amid all of it because she'd uh, somewhat jumped the gun on her colleagues yes. on whether they were saying they were happy with the pay deal when in fact they were not. They were not happy yeah. with the pay deal. No, I mean, it seems, the pay deal seems like it's a problem. Somebody had this really great quote about how this is like a one-off mm. cash injection, which is fine if you need to buy new washrooms for your schools, but like yeah. does not fix the structural problems. Yeah. And like, is there's that, been yeah, a bajillion yeah, yeah, yeah. articles in 
the last couple of weeks about yeah. how many like kids are being sent home because there's no teachers, about how many classrooms are being taken over by parents because there's not enough teachers. Like you gotta you gotta give them more money. I like, think the fundamental problem to hit is so the, the bit the government have missed is that if you hire new teachers, you have to pay them every year. Yes, that's the basic that's, problem. Yeah, here. exactly. Yeah. That you can't yeah, just you can't like, just give them a one-off little... funding package and no. say there you go. No, so what are we going to do in two years' time when yeah. we've got all these new teachers and the money's run out? Prime Minister Mark Greta went on the road this week to reassure farmers worried about the impact of measures to reduce nitrogen oxide emissions. The government is due to announce its plans on Friday and the agriculture sector, which is responsible for around 45% of emissions, although they dispute those figures, is concerned it will bear the brunt. Both farmers and construction workers have staged protests on the issue in The Hague in recent weeks and we've discussed them exhaustively on the podcast. The cabinet has pledged 500 million to tackle nitrogen pollution and Greta told farmers in Overijssel on Wednesday that more would be made available if necessary. Uh, even though we can't find any money for the teachers. Greta said last week it was a case of, quote, all hands on deck to ensure the Netherlands complied with European conservation laws following a judgment by the Council of State in May. Gordon, do we think is the difference between the farmers and the teachers? I mean, fixing the farmers costs actually more money than fixing a lot the more teachers money. does. Yes. What on earth do we think the difference is there? Yes, what could it be? I can't, yeah. I can't, I don't know, I can't quite put, put our, my finger on put it. Put our fingers on it. Maybe no, somebody can, uh, you, you know, if you are listening and you have an idea, please send us an email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And so what is, uh, what is Dutch for all hands on deck? Uh, the Dutch for all hands on deck is alle hens aan dek. Bizarrely. <laughs> <laughs> Not even alle handen aan dek. No, it's, that's uh, so weird. Why is this? I don't this? know where, I, I would have to look into if the etymology of that. If somebody knows the etymology of this, please yeah. also send us an email. To it people. looks as if they just literally transferred the English uh, phrase and then sort of just re-spelt re, re, re it. But that would be bizarre for what is, uh, in its own right, a very a, a nation with a rich seafaring tradition. It's Why true. you wouldn't have your own, your own version of these version uh, of nautical metaphors. It makes me yeah. think that there was a lot of... Ch- that every time I saw this, I kept thinking that there was going to be a lot of chickens. In the <laughs> exactly, that's exactly my first thought as well. Yeah. So what do these measures entail? Uh, civil servants have come up with around 20 proposals. Uh, the one that's grabbing all the headlines is the one to reduce the motorway speed limit to 100 kilometres per hour. On the speed limits, first of all, because it has thrown up, caused an awful lot of a fuss. So even though it will only cost a, you know, a maximum of about 15 minutes more to drive right away across the country and allow 75,000 homes to be built in projects that are currently on hold because that of the whole... That seems like a pretty good trade-off to That make. seems a good trade-off, but it's enraged some MPs in Rutter's Fefe Day party because it's always put itself up as the party of the motorist. One told the Telegraph, quote, enough of this madness, we won't be governed by the left. I mean, you should come up with a more a solution that, that makes more sense then. But I don't think there is one because I think the solution makes a lot of sense. It seems to make a lot of sense. drive from one side of the country to the other. Well, I do country. quite regularly. I, do, I, I, I drive right across from The Hague to Drenthe. Yeah, and, but what is regularly? Well, about once a month, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, so most. you're 15 extra minutes, half <laughs> Ten, an hour, because you've got to go there and go back. Go there and go back again. Yeah, so again, like is it uh, worth 25 3, minutes. 3,000 people total. not being able to have a house? I would say not. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I say it is worth worth it yes yeah. yes very much tell me where i would agree with you yes oh dear mad. um but yes but anyway yes so the, the fifth day who, who put the speed limit up to 130 are desperate uh, to be avoid being the people who have to put it back down, put again. It back down again so that's caused a bit of a um, you know, made everything stall again uh other ideas were introducing car free sundays which uh last that also caused a lot of drama that Facebook caused a lot of drama page. well that seems to make more sense because people do travel yeah. quite a lot on sundays these days i agree with that. especially got family living in another part of the country uh and adding an enzyme to cattle feed so they emit less ammonia not a nice thought but as Ritter himself said quote there must be no taboos uh, as I said, we've discussed the protests and the Council of State ruling in previous podcasts, which we will link to if you want to listen to those discussions. Yeah, we're not getting back into this. We're not. I'm not doing it again. 
MPs on Tuesday voted in favor of giving tens of thousands of Dutch citizens in the UK the right to dual nationality if Britain crashes out of Europe. The law will make it possible for Dutch nationals living in Britain to apply for dual nationality without giving up their Dutch passports. The legislation will only come into effect in the case of a no-deal Brexit. To qualify, people must have been living in Britain before the Brexit vote in 2016 and have made the UK their main place of residence since then. People who have already applied to become British and given up their Dutch nationality will be able to apply retrospectively to have their Dutch passports returned if there is no deal. And are British citizens in the Netherlands included in this legislation? Oh, no. No, no. (laughs) Y'all are fucked. The bill was drawn up by the uh, De Sessa Sestug, and it originally included British nationals in the Netherlands as well, but they were dropped from the proposal because of racism, basically. <laughs> um, because there wasn't enough support in Parliament for extending dual nationality, and it's not that the PVV really cares about the Brits, but they desperately care about not giving people from yeah, their own countries uh, They don't want to kind of... Uh... Next thing you know, you're going to be giving it to Americans. It's going to be terrible. Yeah. Uh, and we can't have that. And of course, for some other Dutch citizens, the government wants to take their citizenship away. Yes, if you are an IS fighter. Yeah. I wonder what happens if you're a British IS fighter who's living That's in the Netherlands. A heck of a, well, of course, uh, Shamim Begum has no state to go to. Uh, the public prosecutor thinks that it's a uh, it's a real crap idea, which mm. is also, I think, the official stance of this podcast. Yeah. That it's, you shouldn't take people's nationality away No, it's just them. a bad idea in all sorts of ways. The public prosecution department has warned Justice Minister Ferdinand Krapahaus that his policy of stripping dual nationalities from jihadi may lead to them escaping punishment. So far, 11 people have lost their passports. Yeah, this is one of those things I just haven't thought through. They they want to take people's passports away, but they also want to put them on trial. But if they're not a citizen, if you're not a citizen of the country, you can't... uh, It's harder to put... uh, to to have them extradited. So a little bit of short-sightedness there. Indeed, a little bit of shooting yourself in the foot. A little bit of shooting. Cutting off your nose to spite your face, I think, is the, uh, the, the phrase. A Dutch lawyer specialising in bankruptcy was the victim of a drive-by shooting near his home in Germany on Wednesday. 43-year-old Philip Scholl was walking his dog in the border town of Gronau when he was fired at from a passing car and had to be treated in hospital for gunshot wounds. His injuries were not life-threatening and he's been able to speak to police in hospital. Scholl had a law practice just across the border in Enschede, uh, the two towns literally just back onto each other. And according to news website Nu.nl, the National Counterterrorism Unit, NCTV, was aware that he was at risk. Witnesses said he was shot at from a small white car with Dutch number plates. One woman also said she'd seen the car driving slowly down the street earlier in the week. Do we know what the motivation is for this attack, Gordon? Uh, well, the local paper Tubantia down in the Achterhoek has speculated that he may have been the subject of a vendetta by a bankrupt gym owner. What uh, is going on in Octahook, man? Well, an awful lot, <laughs> as it turns out. Uh, Olympic Gym, which is a chain of three gyms based in Hengelo, went bankrupt after the owner was found to be running a cannabis plantation on the side. Skoll was appointed as liquidator and accused the owner, Ronald Boeverbrink, of, which is a really good name for That's a guy a, who is accused of running cannabis a, plantations. That was a great name, <laughs> yep. Of using Olympic Gym to launder money. At one point, Boeverbrink was taken into custody at Skoll's request because he was refusing to cooperate with his inquiries. So he had a certain amount of a grudge, you might say. And this comes just a couple of weeks after the shooting of another lawyer in Amsterdam that ended tragically. Yes, very tragically. Dirk Viersum, who was assassinated outside his home because he was defending a Crown witness in a major underworld drugs trial. There's no suggestion there's any connection between these two shootings, uh, but at the time it was seen as crossing a line because in the past organised criminals had uh, left lawyers alone. Uh, Justice Minister Fed Hopperhaus described it as an attack on the justice system. Hopperhaus described the shooting of Schol as an enormous shock and said, quote, if the keepers of our justice system are attacked, we need to make clear that we will push back urgently. 
but I think uh, the fact that uh, lawyers are now seen as targets yeah. is a new and quite unwelcome development. Obviously, it makes it harder to bring cases against yeah, organised criminals true. because people won't represent them if they fear for their, for their lives. Yeah. Well, in, you know, in the case of Derek Berenson, it, it was a case of, of organised crime being involved. This yeah. one that happened in Germany sounds a little bit more just like a, a bit of a more of a personal vendetta, but we're not, it is no, basic we're not personal sure vendetta, yet. But yeah, but I think there was a certain amount. I think when Dubanti had dug into the story, they discovered, yes, it's, it's, it's not high-level organised crime. It's yeah. not international gangsters shipping cocaine in, in yeah. Rotterdam docks, but there's sort of this kind of network of um, this sort of small-time criminals who are making a lot of money out of wheat plantages yeah. and have the means to yeah to, to, to go out and hire pitmen. So it's, you uh, know, if, <laughs> if the problem is the wheat plantages, maybe more cities should take up the government on this like oh, legalisation growing plan and you take all of this money away from criminal out of the, out of the criminal world, yes, quite possibly. A major security scale at Amsterdam Schiphol's airport on Wednesday evening turned out to be a false alarm. Military police said shortly after 7 p.m. that they were investigating a situation, which the Dutch media reported, involved an Air Europa flight due to leave for Madrid at 10 after 7. Dutch media also reported that a member of the crew had pressed the button to report a hijacking, which sparked a security scare. Shortly after 8.30, the military police issued a new message saying that passengers and crew are safely off the plane. The investigation is continuing at the location. That was according to a message on Twitter. Mm. Uh, it then soon transpired that the incident was a false alarm and the pilot had pressed the emergency code by accident. He was, in fact, training yes. a, uh, <laughs> an intern. Yes. And, that's, that's... and if he, it appears that he said to the intern, this is the code you type in to yeah. a hijacking, and then you press this button, which I'm not going to press now, but then, then he pressed, pressed it. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in line with airport protocol, the emergency services were alerted. We deeply apologize, Air Europa said on Twitter. Yeah, and Twitter, of course, uh, being Twitter, was absolutely alight with rumours. It was it? insanity. Yeah. So among the rumours circulating <laughs> on social media were that three men armed with knives were on the plane, the heavy armed special services police officers had boarded the plane to evacuate the passengers, Utrecht Central Station had been evacuated because of a security threat, there was also an incident at Milan Airport around yeah. the same time, which added to the chaos. None of these things were true. There was an incident in Milan, and uh, yes. Utrecht was evacuated, but it was because of a fire alarm, yeah, not because of a security unrelated. alarm. Totally unrelated. Yeah. Um, um, but Twitter just promptly lost its mind. And, and lo lo lots of things, uh, quite entertaining things happened, including the NOS set up a live blog. Yes. Because they expected this is going to be a major incident. Exactly. And, of course, and it's still up. You can yes. still read it. It's quite funny. And yeah. you'll see that the first message is very stern and all about there's a possible hijacking at yeah. Schiphol, and then the next message is, oh, uh, the, the tweet from the airline saying, uh, actually, it was a false alarm. It was a false alarm. And it's a live Live blog of about five messages. The Dutch do love their live blogs. <laughs> they do. Madness was Chelsea manager Frank Lampard's verdict at the end of his team's Champions League match against Ajax in London, and it was hard to disagree with him. Eight goals, two red cards, two own goals, two penalties, a flood of VAR controversy and more implausible twists in a contortionist convention. Ajax were 4-1 up and seeming to be cruising shortly after half-time, but both fullbacks Daley Blint and Joel Feltman picked up yellow cards in the first half and that proved to be decisive, because after Cesar Aspilaqueta had pulled a goal back, Blint and Feltman were both sent off in the same move for second yellow cards. Blint for diving into a challenge on Tammy Abraham and Feltman for handling a shot in the penalty area seconds later. So Ajax conceded a penalty and had to play the last 20 minutes with nine men. Aspilaqueta seemed to have won the match with a rifling shot 10 minutes from time, only for the video referee intervening again to spot it brushing Abraham's hand on the way in. And so the game ended for all and everyone was richly entertained except for Erik ten Hag, who was enraged by the referee. He said, quote, the whole match was turned on his head in one minute. If mistakes like that are made and the far don't correct it, you're left feeling very bitter. 
Still, there's better news around uh, Ten Hag for Ajax fans. Yes, because there have been a lot of speculation that the coach has been courted by Bayern Munich as a replacement for Nico Kovac. Kovac was sacked last week following the team's 5-1 defeat to Eintracht Frankfurt. But Ten Hag said he felt a strong connection to his team and would not be leaving in mid-season, although that was before the Chelsea game. Ten Hag is the, the coach. He's the coach, yes. Is he yeah. the, the angry-looking like, bald guy? He's the angry-looking bald guy with the goatee. Uh, yeah, that's okay. him. Uh, let's talk about something in sports I actually care about. Yeah. The Dutch women. Yes. What are they up to this weekend? Barring your Feltmanstar calamity, uh, they, they will go a long way to qualifying for the uh, European Championships in 2021. They're playing Turkey away on Friday evening and they face Slovenia at home on Tuesday. And if, uh, as seems likely, they win both those games, they will be very close to qualifying for the finals tournament and defending the title that they won in 2017. Wait, they're playing games now to qualify for a championship in 2021? Yeah. It's a, How does anybody have the patience for this? It takes two years to qualify for a football tournament. That's ridiculous. Yeah. What's Dick Lawyer doing? Yeah, the, 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 the latest Dick Lawyer news is he was a subject of that famous sign about not liking young boys. Uh, he's been at uh, Feyenoord. Feyenoord have what they do. They drew their European match in midweek, okay. so he's uh, kind of settling in quite well. He won his first match, although it was uh, it was away to Fefe Venlo, who were in terrible form. So this weekend he'll have his first kind of proper competitive game. Do you think Dick Lawyer's ever listened to our podcast? I doubt it. That's too bad. But it'd be nice to think It would be nice to to stumble across it one Who would be better if you found out that Mark Rutter was listening to our podcast or if you found out Dick Lawyer was listening to our podcast? Fred Taven. (laughs) That is the only correct answer. (laughs) We'll be discussing why the defense minister is in hot water after this word from our sponsors. Stay up to date with the news about the Netherlands with Dutch News. Dutch News is the country's leading English-language news website, bringing you the latest in news, politics, sports, and more every day. We cover all of the news about the Netherlands, in English, for an international audience. You can find Dutch News online at www.dutchnews.nl, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DutchNewsNL. Defence Minister Anke Bielefeldt survived a no-confidence motion in Parliament this week over the deaths of 70 civilians in a bombing raid in Iraq in 2015. Dutch F-16s targeted an ISIS bomb factory in the town of Hawija. 70 civilians died in what was one of the deadliest attacks on IS-held territory. But the Defence Minister at the time, Janine Hennis, told MPs that Dutch jets had not been involved in the raid. Bielefeld said her predecessor had been wrong to deny the Netherlands' participation and that the country regretted the deaths of civilians. But this was a war situation in which these risks can never be completely ruled out, she said. The entire opposition backed a motion of no confidence in the minister, with the exception of the fundamentalist Christian party, SGP, and that was enough to secure Bielefeld's job for the time being. It's not a very Christian thing to do. To not really. The to endorse the murder of 70 civilians. No. It's not what Jesus would have done, I think. Mm, no. Why has it taken so long for the truth to come out? Well, Reuters reported the deaths at the time, and the Pentagon launched an investigation because of the high number of civilian casualties. But the identity of the fighter jet wasn't disclosed, and Dutch ministers have always refused to say which missions they're involved in for security reasons. So there was no way of uh, checking uh, Hennis's statement, basically. There was no bonnetier. Yeah, there was no bonnetier. Until journalists from NRC and NOS spoke to witnesses in Iraq on a visit during the summer of this year, and they were told by several sources that a Dutch bomb had hit the factory. Do we know how they knew that it was a Dutch... Like, I, mean, I guess I, when you uh, recover just, the munitions, there, uh, there, there was some kind yeah. of... Uh, I was thinking, yeah, like, they don't just, like, fly with, like, a Dutch flag underneath um, the fighter bomb. Anyway, people in Iraq seemed to know that, uh, that it was a Dutch. They also seemed, said that it was a fair 
fairly open secret that there were civilians living nearby, even though that uh, the Dutch had claimed that they, they weren't aware of that. Yeah. These findings were all published in mid-October in the newspaper uh, and on the NOS, and three weeks later, Bielefeld confirmed the reports in a briefing to MPs. Well, props to the NOS and the NRSA for Indeed, uh, yeah, for digging that out. out. Yeah. yeah. So, is she going to go down? Bielefeld as a yet another uh, justice or security defense minister of that gets well, it's mostly justice ministers. Oh yeah, it's down, mostly justice yeah. ministers. Yeah, yeah although true. well, I mean, yeah, well, Janine Hennis was the last yeah. one. We'll get to that at a later point. Yeah. Um, but uh, for the time being, uh, she, yeah, she seems to have weathered the initial storm. But misleading Parliament is seen as a very serious ministerial offence. Uh, as it should be. As it should be. The, the questions haven't gone away. And there is a convention that you as a minister are responsible for anything your predecessors did, yeah. which is why, for example, Wilma Mansfeld resigned as transport minister over the mistakes that were made by Melanie Schill von Hagen. Yes. Does, the, does the domino effect of this just end when the last minister resigns? Because like, then in theory, right, if you are responsible for mistakes that previous ministers have made, then every subsequent justice minister or defense minister should resign for like these... Well, I don't think you get to resign for a mistake that your predecessor also resigned for. No. Oh, okay. I mean, so, but once, again, so once someone has resigned for it, the slate is wiped clean Well, the thing that. is, yeah, well, no, because if, if more mistakes see came to light subsequently, affair, see yeah. the Bonnish's affair, then no, you can have multiple resignations yeah, on the same issue. But there is still the question, for example, of who in the ministry knew that Hennessy's account was wrong and when they knew it and what they did in response. Right. And the fact that it wasn't corrected until the media broke the story, so the government didn't actively uh, admit the mistake, even right. though they knew about it, looks very bad on the current minister as yes. well as the previous one. So the question is, when was she planning to tell Parliament or was she just hoping that the truth would stay buried, yeah. which is odd given there was a Pentagon investigation. Yeah, see, I mean, it seems know, yeah, inevitable to, at some point. She should point, have known that it was going to come out. Yeah, wow, exactly. Yeah. So it seems badly managed. Uh, you know, I think it's the best gloss we can put on it. Opposition parties, of course, have called for a full inquiry uh, into who knew what, when they knew it, and why it was kept quiet for so long. And if there are any bondages. And if there are any bondages. And so where is Janine Hennis in all of this? Our listeners might remember that uh, Hennis resigned as Defence Minister in October 2017 over the deaths of two soldiers in a training accident in Mali. My God, this podcast has been going on for so long that we covered that. We did, That's yeah. It's crazy. It's quite frightening. Uh, she was criticised for a handling of a report into the death which blames serious deficiencies in military procedures. Seems like a deficiency in military procedure. Yeah. Hennis was a senior Faith Day minister and was expected to take one of the top jobs in Mark Rutter's third cabinet, which was convened about a month later. Instead, she was appointed as head of the UN mission in Iraq, where she's currently embroiled in another controversy uh, about a tweet. They just fire these people. <laughs> she, she she was calling for anti-corruption protesters um, in Baghdad to leave the country's infrastructure alone, but unfortunately, uh, the tweet was posted shortly after Iraqi security forces had shot six protesters dead. Uh, so it came across as somewhat insensitive. Um, you would think that a seasoned politician would know that siding with buildings over people yeah. is never going to be a good look. No. But Faith Day ministers seem susceptible to this kind of misjudgment. Maybe she should be more relaxed and drive slower, and she would she wouldn't be so make <laughs> yeah. so many mistakes. She wouldn't get to, yeah. She'd have a bit more uh, human compassion. But she was accused of being more interested in Iraqi oil than lives, and there've been protests now in Iraq calling for her resignation. So yeah, she's she's not having a good time of it either. She's not had a few good few years. No. Um. So back to the Netherlands. Like, what is the chances of this like going further up the the food chain? I think. Well, the questions are now starting to be uh, pointed in the direction of Mark Rutte and, and what he knew. he knew, whether or not he knew, and what he knew. Mark Rutte has given Mark Rutte's typical response, which is he, it was two years ago and he can't remember yeah. what was said to him at the time. Uh, it seems incongruous that the prime minister would not be informed of uh, Dutch forces being involved in a raid on this scale that had this amount of loss of life. I mean, either there's a problem with the system. Yeah. 
Or there's a problem with Mark Rutter. I think this is the thing, isn't it? Either he knew, and if he did know, he couldn't possibly forget a thing like that, no. that kind of major incident. Or he didn't know, in which case, why didn't he know? Right. Why, why wasn't the Prime Minister yeah. told of this kind of potentially of extremely damaging bad. incident? Yeah. So, yeah, the, so neither outcome is good. But anyway, he says it wasn't his business to know because it wasn't his portfolio. Uh, but critics say the Prime Minister should have been told. Uh, Liliana Pluman, who was International Development Minister at the time and is now an opposition Labour MP, she said she wasn't told either. Okay. So that might give so us a clue as to where this where it is possible that Greta didn't know in yeah. which case yeah there are questions to be asked about whether the channels of communication need to improve um why are the Dutch participating in these military things to be first question but uh <sighs> the more important question is is like why does this get people so riled up i mean like jenny harris had to had to resign mm. over this incident in mali it, it looks like this may take out uh the current defense minister so what 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 has happened in dutch history yes. to make people very touchy it was this? a very fraught business and of course so uh, it all comes back to one place which is Srebrenica. that would be the uh, 1998 massacre yes. of something like three thousand there's about eight thousand eight thousand yeah, bosnian uh, muslims yeah in what was supposed to be a safe haven yes um which was being guarded by dutch peacekeeper. which was being guarded by dutch peacekeeper by the dutch bat battalion yes. which was a dutch uh, un peacekeeping um mission which Failed, basically yeah. failed for all kinds of complicated reasons, um, and we're still arguing about who was ultimately responsible. But it remains one of the most painful episodes in recent Dutch military history. As it should be. As it should be, and as a result, the Netherlands has been reticent about participating in coalition missions, especially when there's a risk of civilian casualties. As they should be. Yes, because they have this uh, very scarred memory of uh, what what went wrong last time. Nevertheless, Dutch F-16s were used in more than 2,000 bombing raids in Iraq and Syria between 2014 and 2018. Does the US just like not have enough F-16s? I feel like we have so many. You have a lot, but uh, you seem to always want more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very American of us. Yeah, and but this is all causing tension with the current US administration, of course, which wants to pull back from conflict zones and wants NATO allies like the Netherlands to step up and take a more proactive role in coalition operations. It's funny that they want the Europeans to do more, but the US seems to be on its way out of NATO. And yeah. Melly Macron uh, declared it uh, dead this week. Yes, yeah, funny that. Yeah. Yeah. US Ambassador Pete Hoekstra, your favourite person he in hates me. this country, uh, recently accused the Dutch of walking away from Syria and said some quite inflammatory things. Uh, about uh, uh, the Dutch military. He suggested the, p- the decision partly caused the chaos in the region, allowing him to repeat Hoekstra style. He then immediately denied saying that and claimed journalists had put words in his mouth. But, he but, said but, it. It's a recorded interview. Yes. Like, come on. Well, it's the same thing about the... Uh... Uh, no-go zones thing where he claimed yeah. that there were he no-go cl- zones in the Netherlands and then when people pushed him on this he ne- said he never said he that said it was and fake then they news. played him a video of him saying it and he said it was fake news yeah so basically yeah, the, the Trump administration has wanted to withdraw or scale down its operation in Maine it's looking for the Europeans to step up but the Dutch have got quite well-founded reasons for not jumping at that opportunity so what does this mean for the role in Syria that the Netherlands has? Well, the Trump administration asked back in May for the Dutch to take part in a new military mission in northern Syria, which would also involve repatriating Dutch IS fighters and putting them on trial which in the Netherlands, which week. we talked about last week. But uh, the Netherlands isn't really uh, all that uh, big on either request. Uh, yeah. the, the military action is unlikely to receive a UN mandate, which gives the Dutch government a very difficult task of justifying it to Parliament. Um, strictly speaking, parliamentary consent isn't necessary for military operations, but in practice it's expected, and it's a fairly hardwired precondition, especially since Srebrenica. The setbacks in Mali, including the training accident that prompted Hennis's resignation, have further dampened enthusiasm for military action. Anke Beilefeld has said that the army is currently in recovery mode. 
and the Netherlands has also been very resistant to attempts to bring back IS fighters because of the political sensitivities which we talked about in last week's podcast. Basically, the you know, right-wing parties like the PVV and FAD will jump on it, and the, the coalition parties know that. Even though it's everybody, basically, who has any sort of yeah. knowledge of the situation says it's better to bring them back and prosecute them here. Yeah. Foreign Affairs Minister Steph Block wants a tribunal to be set up in Iraq to try suspected IS combatants, but that was a pretty distant prospect. Because so... Iraq's defence minister said, <laughs> no, nah, bro, we're not into that. Basically, yeah. So on both humanitarian and military grounds, they've kind of hit a wall. So what do we think? Damaging for the government? I think uh, I think she's going to have to step down. I think eventually Belafort will have yeah, to go. I think she's yeah. gonna and go. Uh, the longer it gets strung out, I think the more potentially damaging it could be for the cabinet as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think Ritter's sort of... Uh, goal here has just got to be to try to kick this as far down the road as yeah. possible because he says he's not coming he's not going to go for a fourth term as prime minister so yeah i think the idea would be to just delay 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 until Basically, it's no yeah. longer an issue for I, I think he's got to uh, isolate himself and uh, detoxify it, and that yeah. is probably going to mean either pushing out Barifal out of the door or uh, persuading her to step down yeah. as a more likely option i think that you know the lesson from this should be man it's never the crime that gets you it's the cover-up yeah, like, indeed. and in, in fact the minister uh, who was the prime minister that had to resign over, over well, Srebrenica. That was Vim Kok. Vim Kok, yeah. yeah. His entire when, cabinet resigned. The whole cabinet Over resigned. the Srebrenica report. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it was the inquiry in the report and the findings that were found in that that was more damaging to the government than the actual thing itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, it, it, should I be appointed the next Dutch defense minister, which is... Heaven forfend. L- l- let's not let that happen. <laughs> I would The first thing I would do is just full disclosure, put all your cards on the table about what happened to this, because otherwise it's going to come back in 18 months and bite you in the ass. Yeah, and you just you just wonder as well why... I mean, Jean Hennis, and up until she resigned over Mali, was seen as one of the high flyers of yeah. Faith Day, possibly even a potential future prime minister. And then disappeared from domestic over, politics pretty sharply over a training accident. Yeah. I mean, it was like a fairly not. What, what, what was the issue exactly that they had uh, faulty? Um, the, 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 uh, a grenade exploded yeah. during uh, during exercises and it killed two um, soldiers. And again, it wasn't actually the accident itself, but the fact that it took so long for the facts to come out and yeah. for the family to get any kind of recognition Yeah, from and there was some sort of allegations government. that people knew that these grenades had safety yeah, issues, basically. Faulty, yeah. And, um, you know, that's not... This isn't a high-level decision at the way that these decisions no. were made. Like, it's not something she necessarily would have had to step down over. Um, you know, and it's it's a bit the same for Bielefeld. I mean, she could have, had she put this information out yeah. earlier, before the NOS reporting and the NRC reporting came out, then, you know, it probably wasn't something that she would have had to step down over. I just don't understand. Like, just, 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 it know, looks, it's, it's the cover-up that gets you guys. It it's looks indecisive and incompetent, and given that there was an inquiry going on by the Pentagon, they they, was, they, was there was no way, out. there was no way they could have kept this quiet forever. No, no. So it's, it's bad judgment, and it, doesn't look good. But I think it's one of those kind of uh, decisions. I completely forgotten what the whole circumstance of Hennessy's resignation. I had to go and look it all up um, when I was uh, prepping for this discussion. And I imagine with Bielefeld, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a huge um, hot potato issue now. Yeah. But probably once it, once she has resigned, which seems increasingly inevitable, uh, we will move on from this, and yeah, it'll be. Yeah. Forgotten fairly swiftly. And in defense about what actually happened, I mean, I don't know the specifics of this circumstance, but I I am somewhat sympathetic to the point that, like, war is war and war is dangerous and war is bad and that, like, you cannot account for the fact that, like, you're not going to, that there are not going to be casualties in these sorts of events. I mean, this is not the same thing as Srebrenica, wherein they had... Well, they, they, they set up they, what they told the Bosnian Muslims was a safe zone. Right? So they all zone, then right? went and hid yeah. theirs. I mean, this was a yeah. situation yeah. wherein 
Maybe they knew that there were civilians living nearby. Maybe they didn't. I, I don't know the well, answer that, to that, that question. Well, that, that, that's kind of, I think, of a, a point that hasn't been explored in lots of detail, but yeah. seemingly the government's line was that they weren't aware that there were civilians yeah. living in the area of this bomb factory, but it was in a suburb. Yeah. Um, and when again, when NSA and NOS went out to Iraq, uh, people living nearby said it, it, said, yeah, it, was, it was known that there was a residential area. Yeah. So either the intelligence didn't pick that up, right. in which case you got problems with your intelligence, or the military just kind of, didn't pay attention to it, which gave you problems with the military. And again, it's one of those things, yeah, but it's one of those things that given the history of the Dutch and civilian casualties... Yeah, it's a bad look for sure. It's a bad look, yeah. It leaves us open to these kinds of charges. So... Maybe we'll have a fun topic for next week. Let's hope so. I hope... No, we won't. It'll be something else to put It'll be something awful, yeah. Maybe we're just going to talk about... I don't know. Send us an email to um, podcast.dutchnews.nl Tell us what you want us to talk about. There's a hospital worker strike coming up. Yeah, but then we have to talk about like how (laughs) underpaid nurses are and how that's terrible. That's also depressing, Gordon. Yes, I want something not depressing. It's November. Depressing Uh, things happen. uh, That's true. We can talk about Swartpete. We're not talking about (laughs) Swartpete. We are not talking about Swartpete. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Molly Quell, not to Palpators. No, screw that guy. I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. touched his hand and yeah. Eric Ten Hag is mad because the ball touched his hand? No, no, no. That's, you missed a bit. I missed all of it. That, that was a bit further that was a bit uh, earlier in the game that I described when you were on your phone. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. And you weren't paying attention. Why would I? That's why you're confused. Sports. Just read the fucking script. Okay. Uh, still, there's better news around Ten Hag for Ajax fans? Yes, because there have been lots of speculation. Wait, who is Ten Hag? Is that a place? Oh, it's the coach. Yes. Oh, well done. Okay. Is this the angry, bald-looking coach guy? Yeah, he's oh. a very angry, bald-looking coach with the, with the goatee. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. okay? Yes. Right. Oh. Okay, I'm caught up. Right. Uh, there have been lots Wait, of... Wait, spe- what's a VAR? <laughs> <laughs> just, just let me read the sports. Okay? <laughs> read the question again.